0: turn to Romans chapter 5. There is a great story I heard of a little boy. He's out at his grandparents' farm, and as it would be, he had the slingshot. And if you're, you know, if you, some of you guys can relate this. If you've got this slingshot and you're working on it, and he actually got to be pretty good at that, and he's shooting his slingshot around, and uh, I don't know how come these things happen. They've happened to me. I'm sure they've happened to you, but he actually shot it and he killed his grandmother's duck. Okay, and he's like going into a panic. You know, what do you do? Did he? and he's looking around, and seeing if he saw this. Does this kind of brings back some memories for some of you, right? So, he's like, what do you? Oh, I gotta cover this. So he grabs a shovel and gets it out of the barn. He digs a hole and he buries the duck. Okay, as if like maybe the duck just flew away. You know, it's gone. It's you know, it's no longer here. And he buries the duck and he's kind of thinking like, okay, I think I might have got away with it, right? Well, that was all fine until. Um, after dinner, uh, his sister was supposed to be cleaning and picking up the dishes, and she comes up to him, and whispers in his ear, remember the duck, <gasps> and so he just decides that I should start picking up these plates here and stuff like that. In fact, every chore that his sister had to do, whether it's taking out the garbage, washing the car, she'd just walk up to him and go, remember the duck, okay, and his, uh, so she's just torturing him, working him over, blackmailing him, something awful. And finally, he couldn't take it anymore. I mean, he'd just done one chore too many. You know? you know what I mean? And so he decides that he is going to go tell Grandma. And he runs up to her. He's got tears in his eyes. And she's, he's thinking, man, she is going to come unglued on me. I killed the duck, you know. And then she's going to want to know where it is. And I buried it. You know what I'm saying? It's all bad, bad, bad. And she tell, he tells Grandma. And instead, Grandma starts kissing him and thanking him. And she's, And he's like, what? And she goes, you know... I saw the whole thing from the kitchen window. I saw what you did, and I've been waiting for you to come and tell me so your sister would stop blackmailing you, okay? Now, I tell you that because there's a lot of folks that go through life, and you are living it in such a way as if you got tremendous guilt in your life. You do not understand the freedom and the joy of truly knowing Christ and what it means to be justified and to live out this relationship with Him. And you wouldn't be the first to be crushed by your own immaturity and guilt, okay? This this is kind of like the the theme of modern-day Christianity. We don't really understand the full implications of what it means to be in Christ. And that's why you got Romans chapter 5. Paul says, chapter five, verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, Paul, as we've been making our way through the book of Romans, has been talking about just the tremendous value of what it means to be justified. Now, you're like, what does that mean? If you forgot, or you're new, let me just review kind of just a very simple definition. He says, it's it's God's judicial act. It's a legal act by which God declares a person right with Him based on the life and the death of resur- and life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and you receive it not by works it's not by right it's not by circumcision not by baptism it's not something that can be done to you by some other person you receive it only by faith you believe and you literally are declared by God you believe in Christ that he's the living God and he's the only savior for your sins he literally declares you right with him. And there are tremendous implications for the doctrine of justification. And if you don't know them, your life probably reflects this kind of weight. The, just remember the duck? is kind of like, yeah, you're just kind of living pretty heavy. Well, let me tell you, you don't need to. What does it look like when you understand the full implications of really being made right with God through this doctrine of justification? One, first of all, I want to tell you is is that God actually grants us peace with himself. Look at chapter five, verse one. Therefore, kind of taking into account everything he said in chapters one through four, having been justified by faith, declared right with God by virtue of faith in Christ, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You might want to underline peace with God. Those three words are more powerful than, than when a doctor tells a patient you are cancer-free. Or when a prisoner who's on death row hears that you are forgiven. I mean, just a tremendous relief to hear that. And just the joy, and just the, it's a kind of like the shackles come off. To know that you have peace with God, it changes everything for us. Let me give you kind of like a little modern-day example of that. If I say the, the name Ed Snowden, Anything come to mind? Da-da-da. There he is. We've seen him. We know all about him. His work with the National Security Agency, he decided that he'd probably take in some of that and, and hold it in his own private reserve. And then he actually dispensed it. Every single country in the world has millions of our national secrets. In fact, what he has done has been de- uh, described as the most significant leak in U.S. history. And the man responsible? There he is. So he'd been hiding, hightailing it. He thought he'd go and hang out with some of our good friends out in Russia, okay? And he had hung out in the airport. In fact, he's got a kind of a one-year little deal, but that's going to come to an end. What he really wants is he wants uh, an asylum to the European Union. That's what he wants. He w- that's what he wants. But I want you to know something about Mr. Snowden, He's not going to be showing up at the United States to take in like Disney World this summer for like a little vacation, you know? As, as beautiful and wonderful as Russia is, he's not showing up. He will not be at the Baylor home opening, okay? If you're thinking like, well, we might see Ed there. No, you won't. Because if Ed even thinks about touching foot on American soil or anything that we think is even remotely close to it, immediately the U.S. government is going to kick in and his life is going to be unpleasant at best. Why? Because he is a betrayer. But what if Ed Snowden was judiciously declared right? All is forgiven, and you're in right standing. You can come and do whatever you want. You can shop in any one of our malls. You can set up camp. We have freely bring you back, and all that, that you've done against us, it's all covered. That would be tremendous, wouldn't it? Tremendous for Ed. And we're like, whoa, how could that be? Let me tell you, on a far grander scale, that's what God has done for us. We Sinners. Enemies of God. We've inherited a condition from Adam. In fact, you're going to find that next week when we actually talk about that. But not only have we inherited Adam's condition of being sinners, frankly, we got a good track record to prove that we are sinners by nature, right? And that every time we sin, it's like saying, God, I don't care about your kingship and the whole idea that you created me for you and your glory. I'm going to do life on my own. And every time we do that, that is an indication that we have a sin problem, and God is going to address it, and he has. He's done so through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And when we believe in Christ, we have peace with God. And if you want peace, the peace of God, and everybody does, right? I mean, we're looking for peace, That describes millions of people. We think we can find it in our vocation, romance, material possessions, how much money we got in the bank account, how good-looking we are. We think that if we we have something, that will equate to peace in our life, and we are driven because we really want peace. Guess what? You can never have the peace of God until you have peace with God. You must believe, and when you do, you receive peace with God. And, man, sin is bad. It creates chaos in our souls. It it tears us up. And, And I'm speaking from firsthand experience. And you know what I'm talking about. It rips you apart. And when it's fueled by adrenaline, you do things that you know are going to lead to places that you don't want to be. It tears you up. It creates chaos in your soul. It starts tearing apart your relationships. And we live like this until we truly trust Christ. It's, it's like one pastor said. Very simple. If you know Jesus, you can know peace. But N-O Jesus means N-O peace, right? If you know Jesus, you can know peace. But if you will not trust Christ, you will not have peace. It, I know that you're going to try to find it in money, where you live, what you drive— how good looking you are, and we're always sizing each other up and we're trying to fit into a world system that somehow equates that if I have this or look like this or do this, that somehow it's going to be well with my soul and I just want to save you a lot of havoc. It will not until you believe. But when you are justified by faith, you know what you have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something else that we have. Not only does God grant us peace with himself, but God guides us to maturity by grace. Look at verse 2. He says, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. And you read that, obtained our introduction by faith, and you're like, "Eh, I'm not even sure what that means. But let me just kind of give you a little bit of understanding. The process of being ushered in before a king into the king's court was your introduction. And that's what he's saying, is that literally by virtue of us believing in Christ, we are brought in to the court of the king. In fact, we have access with God to God at any time. Now, uh, in ancient times, a king might forgive a man for some sort of um, sin that he had uh, done against his kingdom, some sort of bad thing that he'd done. And he could forgive him, but that didn't mean that you actually could show up at his court. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way like today. For instance, if you thought, you know, I'm going to go check and see how the president's doing. I want to find out how he's feeling about some of his policies, how life is treating him. You don't don't like just decide you're going to show up at the White House and get in. It doesn't work that way. And if you try too hard, it's going to end badly for you. But with God, we always, we have an introduction. We can be with him. He, in fact, he welcomes us and invites us. And for the Jewish people, they understood this clearly because what happened is there was in their temple and before that in the tabernacle, they had what is called the Holy of Holies. And it was this giant, and they had this giant curtain in the temple that separated the, the courts and the holy place from the Holy of Holies. And even far greater than a wooden door, it would be impossible for you just to break through that. In fact, God had made it crystal clear, you only come through going all these little regulations and you can only, high priest can come once a year. Access to me isn't free like you think of it. But when Christ died, it was like he took that curtain that was all woven together and he like just ripped it like a piece of tissue paper. And it went from the top down at the moment of Christ's death And it literally opened and separated and it demonstrated access with God comes through the death of Messiah. And we have an introduction and we can come at any time. In fact, the book of Hebrews says we can approach the throne of grace at any time and God desires us to do so. In fact, he says in the text, look at verse two, that we stand in grace. In this grace in which we stand, we live in God's divine favor. It's unmerited, it's unwarranted. We've done nothing to deserve it. God just bestows goodness and grace on His people, and He does so because He's bringing us to maturity in Him. And He says, "And we verse two, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God." Not only do we stand in grace, not only are we saved by grace, but you need to know that we have the hope that one day we will literally radiate the magnificent glory of God Himself. Our lives and our bodies, when we are eventually in his presence, will literally manifest the glory and the goodness of God. We have, like the text says, hope. That's not a superficial optimism. That is a confident assurance that that is what's going to happen in our life. We will radiate God's glory. Now, I don't know about you, but frankly, I'm tired of sin. And I'm tired of it in my own life. Maybe you can relate. But I'm I'm tired of arrogance, selfishness, right? Pride. So many things that I'm like, man, why? I'm tired of it. But you need to know that where we're going, when we are in his presence, it is only holiness and glory. All of the things that grieve our hearts and grieve our souls, and we see this residual aspect of this sin nature, guess what? We're going to be emancipated from it. And the longer I live, the more I look forward to freedom completely, salvation fully fulfilled, and we have the hope of the glory. Let me ask you, when you sin, when you do what is wrong, what do you do? Do you like, okay, I got to clean this up. I got to fix this behavior, and I got to clean myself up, and then maybe at church, you know, on Sunday, then I'm going to talk to God, okay? But in the meantime, I got to reform a little bit. I got to change some behavior. Or do you just come as you are, all of your sin, whatever you've done, and you just become before the living God? How you respond to your sin in your life, since you place your faith in Christ, tells you a lot about what you really understand about the gospel. Because if you fully understand the gospel, you know that you don't clean yourself up. You come as you are to Christ. Because that's the beauty of the gospel. We stand in grace We're not working out and making things happen on our own. We literally are coming to him and we stay focused on him and we have a great hope in our life. In fact, you need to understand that God has us in a process in which he's bringing about maturity. So it's in the context of of standing in God's amazing grace, his divine favor. I love you completely. You don't really understand that. You're just learning, but I want you to know it's absolutely true. And I'm putting you in a process in which I'm going to make you look more like my son. And if you want to know what that process looks like, it's found in verses 3 and following here. And he actually, he actually talks about this process in which he brings about growth. You might refer to it as like God's training program. And it's directed by the Lord himself to bring about holiness and wholeness in our life. And so look what it begins with. It's not what you're wanting. But verse 3, he says, And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. So we're, we're exulting in the fact that we are going to be in the presence of God and will reflect his glory, okay? What we see in this life is not all that is it, man. It's going to get far better. But we also exult in our tribulations. And that word in the Greek is just as difficult as it is in English. It has the idea of suffering, distress, physical hardships. It was used to describe olives being crushed to produce olive oil, okay? We like olive oil, right? But it was a miserable experience for the little olives. Did you know that? They literally were crushed, right? So that olive oil would flow out. It was also used of grapes that were crushed, and out would come this grape juice. Well, that is what tribulation does. God is using the trials and the tribulations of our life to actually squeeze us, and it, and it hurts, and it's painful, but it's part of God's training program, and we've got them everywhere. We, you cannot insulate yourself from tribulation. Did you know that? Every single person in this room, we, got, we have a common theme. I have been, and I'm in tribulation, right? Right? You got it, whether you're in your economy, you got home repairs, you got people's expectations, you got politics, you got relational breakdown, you got health issues, you're walking with God, you take a stand for Christ, and what happens? Man, there's some people that don't like that. And, you know, we've been able to kind of cruise like an autopilot for quite a while in our country. You need to know that that is changing. It's changing at a rapid pace. The fire's been lit. And it's, it's like taking off because it's like dry kindling. I mean, we've, we're try, we've ripped God. You don't even want to reference him in the public schools. Well, guess what? We're, we're totally changing the way we think about God in the military, except when people die. Well, then, of course, we're always back to prayer and calling out to God. But it's changing everywhere. And the days of easygoing are going to come to an end, friends, and you are going to face tribulation even for your faith in Christ. Now is not the time to go incognito, but you're going to have tribulation everywhere. It shows up in, in divorce, grief. You've got mental issues sometimes. You've got problems. You've got financial pressures. You've got tribulation. But God is accomplishing something through tribulation. He's bringing about perseverance. He is actually teaching you to go through it. He is bringing you under. Perseverance has the idea that you are staying under and he's going to accomplish something. He's going to accomplish proven character and he's going to pro- accomplish hope. But you need to understand something suffering is a part of the normal Christian life. Now, some of you have heard about the health and wealth gospel, right? Some of you have actually been rescued from it. It has the idea that God really just wants you really rich and always well, right? Sound familiar? There's, there's guys and gals on the TV on these supposed little Christian stations, and they make a lot of money saying that. And you just send your funds, and we'll keep the minister going forward, right? And you know, a lot of us are going, Psh, that's nonsense, right? Yeah, but I think we actually do buy into a version of the health and wealth gospel. I would say many Christians, especially North America, think that the idea of suffering somehow that cannot be reconciled with the victorious Christian life. I mean, come on, that that shouldn't be that way. Life should just be bliss, right? We got God afterwards, right? And he's my best friend, and he's got my back, and of course I would never suffer. Something must be wrong if I am suffering, right? Actually, you understand that if you've ever read your New Testament, how much emphasis Jesus and the apostles and the writer of the New Testament talked about suffering. And it's hard for us on suffering. We we don't like it. We don't like it at work. We don't like it in our family. We don't like the issues with our kids. We don't like financial pressure. We don't like the health issues, right? And and what makes it really difficult and complex is that we know that God is able to do anything to resolve it instantly. He can, right? He's God. And sometimes he doesn't. And that's very perplexing for us. Why? Why would God allow suffering in, in my life or in the life of my loved one or my friends? Why do we have to go through this? What's, what is going on? I want to tell you that suffering is not an enemy. God actually uses trials, tribulations for his purposes. Let me just give you a few. One of them is that suffering produces an eternal perspective in our lives. You see, we get really enamored by the things of this world, right? where we live, what we're eating, our car we're driving, you know, our clothes. We can get so caught up in this. And like, this is wonderful. And God wants us eternally minded, heavenly focused. We are citizens of the kingdom of Christ. And one of the things that suffering does is like, this life just maybe isn't as great as I might have thought. You know, God gives you all these things, and he gives you to him to enjoy. And he wants you to enjoy them, okay? If you've got some money? You got a car? You're eating today? You should thank God and enjoy it. However, you need to understand that there is far more to life. Do not make those your idols or your God. God wants the focus. And part of suffering brings an eternal perspective. It helps us from getting too comfortable. Let me also tell you something else that it does. It also produces humility and holiness in our life. When we suffer, It brings us back to a posture of truly being humble before God. It it also does this. It it actually produces a dependence upon God and even an opportunity for God to work and for him to be glorified. This all comes about in suffering, and it's exactly what God wants. He doesn't want us running our lives independently and maybe just occasionally flying the banner. I love Jesus, right? But I'm pretty much doing life on my own. And when I'm in a jam, I'll call out to God. In the meantime, I'm going to do it. That's, he doesn't want that. He wants your heart completely trusting in him. And he's going to use suffering to break through. it's like C.S. Lewis said, it is a megaphone, okay? And it brings us back to him. Something else I'll tell you about suffering. It produces empathy. You begin to truly start caring about others, When you go through tribulation. Yeah, before you go through tribulation, it's kind of like you see people that are really under it and they're suffering. You're like, come on, get with the program. If you were like me, you wouldn't have problems like that, right? But then you go through your depression or you face the financial reversal or you go through relational difficulty or all of a sudden you got some trouble with your kids or something like that. Like, whoa, you're facing the health issue. Now you become empathetic. You become more like the Savior. All of that, is all accomplished through tribulation. And tribulation produces what? It produces perseverance. We literally stay under it. And it's not that we're looking for our problems and pain. And it's not that if we have the opportunity to relieve them, that we don't. Of course, you do. You don't go looking for it. And if you have an opportunity to relieve it, but friends, sometimes you cannot. Literally, you're in a situation, you can't remove the problem or the circumstances that you're facing what you do is by grace and then confidence in Christ you actually stay under because he is he's accomplishing your purposes you hold on to Jesus even if you don't think you've got anything left in you you just hold on to him he's accomplishing his purposes and one of those purposes is to bring about see that proven character the word proven character, the, those two words translate one word, has the idea of like a silversmith or a goldsmith taking metal and literally melting it so that the dross gets pulled away. That's what pressure does. That's what tribulation does. Everything that's not Jesus be reflect, being reflected in your life, God is removing away through these difficulties. He's accomplishing his purposes. It's hard, it is painful, but it is good. It is why you and I can actually rejoice or exult because there is a hope. There is understanding that God is accomplishing things. That same proven character was used of athletes and warriors, soldiers. If they had proved themselves in their athletic competition or in war, in battle, they had proven character. They had metal. They had gone through the fire and they have developed strength. And that's what happens. And he says it provides and produces proven character and proven character hope. And verse five, and hope does not disappoint. When he says that, he's saying, listen, when you and I put our trust and faith in Jesus and we hold on to him and we go through the fire and God does shape and sharpen our character and he brings about strength like a muscle breaking down and being built back up, we have a hope and an understanding that our faith is not misplaced. I know that it's not necessarily popular to identify with Jesus Christ. And in some parts of the world, it can lead to persecution or your death, right? But you you do not have a misplaced hope. God will definitely show himself to eventually be the victor. Hope does not disappoint because why? because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. You see that in verse 5, through the Holy Spirit who has given who was given to us. When you believe in Christ, God's spirit actually takes up residence in your life at the exact same time. It is not some secondary subsequent event like maybe a couple of years down the road then I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. Paul's going to make that real clear as we go through the gospel of Romans. You believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is it reinforces God's love for us. It literally is poured out in our life. And God not only gives us a love for each other, but he actually gives us a love for him. One of the distinguishing marks of someone who is really justified, really believes in Christ, is that they have a love for God and a love for Christ. There's people that say nice things about Jesus. They'll respect him. I mean, that, that can go a long ways, especially in the South. It's fine if you want to respect Jesus, say some good things about him. But the question is, do you love him? Well, I don't, I don't love him. I mean, I kind of know of him. I'll, I'll respect him. Then you probably don't really know him. Because if you know him, you will love him. And we are literally compelled by him who first loved us. In fact, it's in this context of unconditional love that God brings about maturity. It is why we can go through the hardships and the perseverance and the whole proven character and going through the fire, and feel like, I'm almost about dead here, right? Because I know who loves me, and I know who's bringing about his divine purposes in my life, and that is freeing, and it is life-changing. I blew it this week, uh, I'll just tell you. Okay, I was meeting with one of my guys, a disciple, and I was talking about the national finals, basketball, and uh, I was talking about the game, that I saw part of it the night before. And after I went through with my comments about how the Spurs just obliterated the heat, he informed me that he hadn't actually seen the game and had recorded it and had planned on watching it that night. I'm like, oh, you could have said something earlier, right? Now, do you think that my buddy is going to watch that game at night and like just be like, Chewing his fingernails and eating more food than he could possibly consume. Like, and like, oh, I don't know if, are the, is the heat gonna come back? Is LeBron gonna take over the world and the basketball game? Is, Is that what's gonna happen? Of course, it didn't matter what he saw, he would know with certainty the Spurs win, right? Well, let me assure you, God wins. Final book of the Bible. That's the great summary for the book of Revelation. Jesus wins. He's gonna accomplish his purposes. And yeah, there are times where literally, We're pulling out our hair. I'm stressing out. Right? You know what I'm talking about? How are we going to get through this? God's going to see it through. And he assures our hearts with his love. In fact, we live in God's love, and he intends us to do that. You might think of it this way. We grow in God's love when we focus on God's love for us in Christ. And so that you and I will always know how much we're loved, He has these verses that are so worth memorizing. Chapter 5, verse 6. He says, for while we were still helpless, literally dead spiritually. Unable to do anything. You were spiritually dead apart from knowing Christ. I don't care what kind of religious routines you put yourself in, how many times you show up at church. Until you trust Christ, the Bible is crystal clear. You're spiritually dead. We're helpless. Look what he says. At the right time, at the exact precise time in history, at the right time, Christ died for who? The religious people? The nice people? The good people? The people that are really trying in life? No. He dies for who? The ungodly. He says, verse 7, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, for a person who's really respectable, really follows the letter of the law. You know, someone, someone, probably he's not going to die for that kind of guy. Now, for a good man, though, so at least 37 what he in verse 7, though perhaps for a good man, you know, someone who has heart, someone who's demonstrated love, for a good man, someone would dare to even die. And we see this. We see, um, like, like, soldiers. And sometimes they will go into a situation where they know that they're going to die, but they're going to rescue their buddy. A couple of weeks ago, I read of two guys they pleaded with their commander to let them in. But he, un- he knew they'd die, but they were going after their buddy. Finally, he relented. They went out. And they, they did a heroic thing. They saved their buddy, but they both died in the process. For a good man, someone daring to die. Every once in a while, you hear of a parent that, that pays the ultimate price for one of their kids. And, and we, we see that. But I want you to see it from God's perspective. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. For the Christian, he's always thinking about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We just keep going back and back to him. Christ died for us. Yesterday I was at uh, a Christian camp, and I was um, listening to these college students that were the counselors, and they were debriefing, and all the campers, all these elementary kids all went away, and they were talking about their experiences, and they were having this debrief time, and, and one of these college guys, he got up, and he was talking about all these fifth grade boys that he had in his cabin. Doesn't that sound like a summer of fun? Yeah? They're looking for where No, yeah. And he was... They would have all these intentional one-on-one times, and he had this one fifth grade boy, and he'd been really talking with him, and, and this... This boy, in all seriousness, he said, Well, then, why did D- Jesus die for me? And I, this college kid says, I'm not a crier, but man, I started to have tears in my eyes. And I, I started, because he finally understood that God loves him. That's why Jesus died. We kind of understand the general sense, God so loved the world. God loves the world in general. I'm a microscopic part of that, and he's probably just tolerating me. It can't be personal, but it is always personal. Look what the text says. But God demonstrates his own love toward who? Us, deeply personal, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for who? For us. You want to grow and mature? You want to go through your trials and tribulations? You want proven character? You want to persevere? You keep focusing on the love of God, and the Spirit of God just reinforces in our heart. He's there. He loves you, and he wants you to rest and trust in him, and that's how God brings about maturity. He does so through the context of an unconditional love that he has for his people, and that changes it all for us, doesn't it? Man, we are free, and just one other thing I'll point out to you. God also guarantees us salvation from his wrath. If you truly believe in Christ, if you are justified by faith, look at what he says beginning in verse 9. Much more than, I mean, like how much better can it get? Verse 9, having now been justified by his blood, this one, the perfect Savior, his atonement, his blood sacrifice for you, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. You and I will never face hell, not because we don't deserve it, but because Christ has paid the penalty for us in our place. We will never face this great tribulation that is coming upon the earth, that God has made crystal clear there is coming a day of great havoc and great tribulation where God's justice is going to be brought. When we talk about God's wrath, okay, it's not like us. You know, we're rather vindictive and vengeful, right? That's not God. God's wrath is very legal. You break the laws in our country, you face the wrath of justice, right? Well, that's how it is with God. He is going to bring about justice. His wrath is going to be expressed against sin and all those who will not turn from it, i.e., sinners who will not believe in Christ. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death Uh, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Reconciled has two parties that are at war with each other to be brought together. And before you and I trusted in Christ, we were at enmity with God, i.e. Romans 1, 2, and 3, right? But you believe and God unites us with his son. He reconciles us. And that means that you will never face his wrath. In fact, he says in verse 11, And not only this, but we also shall exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We rejoice because we've been reconciled. And if God went through such great lengths to bring about salvation in your life, do you think that he's going to say, I think I might have made a mistake on you. I think I'm going to put you back out and turn you back over to your own sin. No, never. It's been covered justice has been declared. The verdict is over, and you've been declared righteous, not because you're good, not because you've done good things, or even had nice little things done to you, because you believe in Christ, and you've been justified by faith, and that changes it all. You see, being justified by faith gives Christians the ability to have the certainty of hope in this life. I was reading uh, some from Ravi Zacharias. I think many of you are familiar with him. He's an internationally known Christian spokesman. Uh, He was at a really unique situation, and and they're trying to develop peace in the Middle East, believe it or not. And one of the ways they're doing it is they have something called what is a peace table, and they're bringing leaders in the Middle East, and they try to bring them together, and they bring other people to have like a discussion, and they share a meal together. And Rabbi Zacharias was invited to come to one that was actually being hosted by one of the founders of Hamas. His name is Sheikh Talal, okay? And so they have this dinner, and there's these different people. Sheikh Talal uh, spoke of how he actually had spent 18 years in prison for his beliefs and what he's trying to accomplish, He's also had numerous of his own children being suicide bombers. So the guy's fully in. He fully believes in his cause, okay? And so when it was time for Ravi Zacharias to actually engage and to speak and have an opportunity, he, he said this. Uh, Sheikh Talal, forgive me if I'm asking you the wrong question, but please tell me, what do you think of suicide bombing and sending your children out like that? Well... Sheikh Talal gave his answer, and then I want you to listen to what Ravi Zechariah said. Sheikh, you and I may never see each other again. So I want you to hear me. A little distance from here is a mountain upon which Abraham went five thousand years to offer years ago to offer his son, and as the axe was about to fall, God said, "Stop." I said, "Do you know what God said after that?" He shook his head. I, I, I don't know. And he said. God said, I myself will provide. He nodded his head. And then sa- Zechariah said, Very close to where you and I are sitting, Sheikh, is a hill. 2,000 years ago, God kept that promise and brought his own son, and the axe did not stop this time. He sacrificed his own son. And this leader of Hamas just literally just stared at him the room was full of smoke because of all the security and no one said a cert- said anything and then ravi zecharias went on and said i may never see you again sheik but i want you to want to leave you with this until you and i receive the son that god has provided we will be offering our own sons and daughters on the battlefields of this world for land power and pride You see, until we truly trust Christ, the lamb sacrificed in our behalf, in our place, it's going to be a war. It's a war in your soul, it's a war in your life, and it's a war in our world. But when we trust in Christ and we're justified by faith, it gives us, as Christians, the certainty of real hope in this life. We've got peace with God. We've got the promise that he is bringing us through maturity, through all these difficulties and we will never face his wrath. And friends, that is awesome news. Life-changing news that is meant to truly change us from the inside out. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for an amazing passage of scripture. You have a way, God, of just o- opening just through your word an understanding of what it means to truly know you. And so, Father, if there is someone that's never placed their faith or faith and trust in Christ, would they just simply pray with me and say, God, I I turn from myself, my self-centeredness, and my sin, and I believe in Jesus, the one who has been sacrificed on my behalf. And God, I pray that you would just change me from the inside out. Help me to know your peace, to know your love as I go through these trials, and you bring about maturity, and to live with a certainty I'll never face your wrath. And for all of us who do know you, Lord, God, would this tr- these truths from Romans 5 Would they just continue to be magnified in our lives? May they lead to worship and praise and lives fully given over to you and your joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.